For those of you that may just be visiting tonight and haven't been with us, we're in the book of Proverbs, actually, and studying through Proverbs. And I have, as we're dealing with practical matters, I have uh, addressed the subject that a lot of people don't like to touch, and that's the subject of alcohol, uh, purposely because I believe it's also not only covered in Scripture, but I think we really need to have a handle on it and need to understand what the Scriptures do say and don't say <clears throat> on the subject and uh, so that we can, again, practically handle it. <clears throat> so tonight I want to begin, I'll make a couple of more comments in just a second. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, which is kind of where we left off, and it's been a a while because of the break that came up because of my son and a couple of other things that happened. But uh, for, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, first of all, verse 18, it says, do not, be, uh, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in God, again, we ask for your guidance tonight as we study the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would not add to the word, we would not take from the word, <clears throat> but, Father, that we would rightly divide the word, that we would understand it. And, Lord, in this area that is uh, so problematic today, even in the church, I pray that you'd help us to have a good handle and understanding. We thank you for the time that we've been able to spend on it and pray that we can uh, bring it to a head tonight. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study. Be with the young people as they are meeting tonight in uh, the youth group, and uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Again, I appreciate Al giving me the time because I wanted to finish it tonight. This is part three of a three-part series on wisdom and alcohol, and um, if we finish early, that's fine. I'm not concerned about that. I just did not want to go beyond the three messages that I have given. Because of the breaks, and this is the last part of the series, and that was part of the reason I wanted to get uh, into the pulpit as quickly as possible, I do feel it's necessary to review the highlights of the things that we have already learned. And for those who have not been here, and I don't think there really has been many that have been through <clears throat> all of the parts yet, I have asked throughout that you don't draw conclusions based upon one part of the series, but that you hear it all. Here's what we have learned so far, and allow me the first part here to just do this review that I think is essential with some highlights here. We did look at terms in Scripture, and we noted that several words are used in Scripture, though the word alcohol does not appear. There is the new wine, there is mixed wine, there is strong drink referred to in Scripture, and all in all, as we try to present it to you, it is connected to the word wine, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So it doesn't talk about alcoholic beverages. It doesn't deal, for example, with whiskey and things of that nature. But when it's dealing with wine, uh, that is where we're coming from with dealing with this topic. We have learned, and very important to understand that again, that in reality, no, no matter what you study, no matter what you look at, no matter what your position may be, and I'm not going to go through all that I presented in the early part of the series, 
But if you look at it and study it, you will find out, and I want you to remember this, all wine, all of it, new wine, all of it, had the potential, and I emphasize the word potential, for intoxication and drunkenness. It was not dealing with grape juice. That, and when you get into that situation where people want to avoid that, it's just because they don't want to deal with this topic properly. All wine that you see in the scriptures had the potential ultimately for intoxication. Another thing that we noted, and it was very important to our understanding, both in the Old Testament and we saw in the New Testament, for example, with the Corinthian church, and that is in pagan worship, in pagan worship, a huge part of the pagan worship was involved with drunken feasts. They were involved in drunkenness and temple prostitution. That was a carryover, that was in pagan worship. Part of their worship was to get drunk, and part of their worship was to have temple prostitutes available for those who were there. And that is, when you get into the Corinthian church, part of the problem when they were getting called out, they had come out of that and they wanted to be careful about association. We also learned, as we studied together, this is all review right now, that the wine of the Bible, the wine of the Bible was not the same as it is today. It wasn't the same by any means. That doesn't mean that we, it didn't have intoxicating effect. It did have the potential for that. In fact, when you avoid that, that's a problem. But also, if you believe, if you're thinking that the wine of the Bible is like going to a package store today or a liquor store to pick up the wine that's sitting on the shelf, you are kidding yourself as well. It is not the same wine. We noticed several things about it. We said, first of all, that its supply was limited. It was not like today, which is an unlimited supply of alcohol. That was not the case in Bible days. Supply was very limited. Secondly, <clears throat> its use was primarily for purposes of safety. They had wine and they used it. It was a staple drink. And it was used for safety. It was used for protection. It was used for healing. And it also could produce, and obviously did, even in scripture, drunkenness within people, even godly people. You go back in the Old Testament. You don't have to go too far in Genesis to see the first incident of drunkenness. Again, pointing out the fact and the reality to it. But it was primarily used even to purify the water and so forth as we saw. And so it had a safety issue to it. It had a protection, a, a healing aspect that the Bible wine was looked at. It was mixed with water, all the wine, I, I won't spend a lot of time on the strong drink, but I did say to you very clearly that people who drank wine that was not mixed were referred to as barbarians. The concept of not mixing water and wine was not a concept that you would find with the, the scriptures, other than barbarians, even in that society. Uh, they mixed it with water, and they mixed it with water for several reasons. We need to remember this. And one of the reasons they mixed it with water was to conserve it because they did not have an unlimited supply. Even at the wedding feast, it was mixed with water 
so that they could have an, a supply because the wedding feast went on for days. And as you know, in the wedding feast of Cana, they ran out. Uh, so it was to conserve supply. Secondly, if you go back and trace the history, you find out that it was used as an antiseptic. In what way? Number one, to purify the water. The water was not as pure, if you will, that we have today. And so the wine, in, in fact, the carrying of the wineskins, we went into some of the information on it, but it's not like we think. Those wineskins, oftenly it was a thick paste that they had boiled it down to so that they could take it on a journey, and when they did find water, they could mix it with the water to purify it, or they actually would use it as a jelly, like you would use peanut butter and jelly. So if they had bread, they could spread it on it. It, it was very common for that. So the mixing with water was to purify, and it was also used as medication. We also saw, though we might not understand it or even want to accept it, the reality was they mixed it with water because it increased the flavor of the wine. It actually brought out and enhanced its flavor, so they would mix it for that purpose. And if you did some reading today, you'd find out that that's uh, still somewhat uh, the case, that uh, even in processing. And then uh, the other reason, the fourth reason, was that they mixed it with wine uh, to slow down or to prevent drunkenness. That's exactly what they did. They also mixed it so it would become difficult to be drunk because you would have to consume a tremendous amount of it. We also noted that to, to address it properly, and uh, this is why, again, in the beginning of this review, that wine was used and is used, and we have to understand that, in a very positive way in Scripture. This sometimes becomes difficult for those who would uh, want to kind of defend the Bible and not be honest and be biblical about it. You have to be careful because it is presented in a positive way in Scripture. Well, in what way, Pastor Dan? We learned that wine was used as one of the offerings to the Lord. It was considered uh, one of the offerings that they would bring as they would bring the fruit of the vine and give their drink offering to the Lord. Secondly, it was also seen in Scripture and is found in Scripture as a provision for man's satisfaction. You'll find that in the Psalms, that God blessed man, and part of the joy that he even referred to is found in the uh, product of the wine as food, but also as drink. And as I mentioned earlier, Wine was a staple drink. It was a normal staple drink uh, that they had available. There would be water if they could get it and wine if they could get that. That was basically their staple drink in Bible times. And then it was also used in a positive way in Scripture as a healing me uh, method or, if you will, for medicinal purposes. And you get that in the Old Testament and you get it in the New Testament with Timothy where he was told because he was apparently a water drinker, he had to be encouraged to take a little wine because of some type of intestinal problem that we know he had biblically because it was disclosed. So you cannot be fair with scripture and, and say you've got a handle on what the scripture says about wine if you don't balance everything that is said about it. So it was used in a positive way. We also saw 
uh, very important, that there were certain people that were restricted from using it and others that were warned about using it in Scripture. For example, we saw the Levitical priesthood. They could not perform their duties uh, and were not to be involved in drinking wine. They were restricted from it. You just could not do it. If you took a Nazarite vow, such as John the Baptist, I think I open that to the congregation. He's not the only one, but if I recall correctly, somebody mentioned John the Baptist, and he did. He took a Nazarite vow. And if you took a Nazarite vow, it says from birth to death, you could not touch wine. You were not to do that. You had committed yourself to the Lord in that way. We find out from Proverbs that it was not for kings and not for rulers. And by the way, that does not mean that people in the Levitical priesthood did not drink it. It does not mean that kings did not drink it. Of course they did. But we find in Scripture that they were not. Rulers were not to partake. And the reason they were not to partake, again, was because they wanted to have clear thinking. And then elders. It is mentioned in regards to elders. Again, they were cautioned not to be known as a companion of wine, not to be known as a drinker of wine. And when you look at it, you see why, and you look at the scriptures, it's clear in scripture. These areas where it was restricted or warned against was because of several things, and I highlighted a few. One, they represented God. They were the leaders. They were the ones that were to represent God to the people. And as such, God did not want them to be setting an example of anything other than what would be holy. And so they were warned that way. Secondly, God did not want their thinking clouded. He did not want their thinking because, as we will see tonight, and as we can see from even Ephesians' warning and in comparing uh, the Holy Spirit's work with drunkenness, it refers to the fact that the thinking should be clear. We ought to be controlled uh, in clearly thinking. And so the leaders, the priesthood, the Nazarites, the kings, the elders, were to have clear thinking. They were not in any way to allow their thinking to be influenced the wrong way. God did not want his leadership to be used as an excuse for somebody else. Now, whether that's right or wrong isn't the issue. God just didn't want people to, and if, and if you think, by the way, as a leader, that cannot happen to you, you are kidding yourself, or as parents, and so on. But one of the reasons biblically was that they didn't want leadership to be used as an excuse for somebody else to go out and use it wrongfully. And certainly, it was the reputation both publicly and privately, as you study those texts in more detail than we even did. So there were certain people that were restricted from having it, and there were others that were warned against it. And we, we concluded with, so those are some of, and that's just some of the things that we highlighted. And what we concluded with the last time I was with you in the second message was God's desire, it was right here in the text, was for all of his people to be controlled by the Spirit, and uh, why? Because we represent the one true living God. And in chapter 5, verse 1, we are to be imitators of God. We are to follow God and either have others follow us because we're following 
God. And if there's anything that's going to control us, we want it to be the Holy Spirit. And that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is anyway. It is being controlled by because, and he uses the comparison of drunkenness, because if you're drunk with wine, that wine will control you. It will absolutely take over. And anyone that's experienced uh, alcohol and to the point of certainly drunkenness knows exactly what the scriptures are referring to. So we represent him, and as representing God, the one and only person that is to control us is the Holy Spirit. So having now reviewed that, which gets me right to where I would be starting tonight, uh, tonight I want to wrap this up by, and I'm going to tell you the four things I'm going to cover, and, I'm going to, and I've tried to narrow this down to three messages. There is so much more that we can say, but I tried my best before the Lord, almost like I gave the challenge to Henry this morning with six to get down to one and we're going to try to deal with it. Here's what the four points are for tonight. I'm going to deal with drunkenness first, number one, because we have not addressed that. And then three other areas, and that is general considerations, biblical exhortations, and just some practical considerations that I'll conclude this section with tonight. And we will be in the book of Proverbs quite a bit. But let me start right away. Let's go to the first point, drunkenness. Obviously, drunkenness is sin, bottom line. There is no way around it, folks. If you get drunk, you're in sin, period. And there may be excuses made, but if that alcohol in any way controls your thinking, that is, causes you dizziness or causes you to forget or you can't think straight, you are drunk whether you believe it or you don't, whether you want to fool yourself or you don't. And it's a work of the flesh. Obviously, the comparison here in Ephesians let me just hit a couple of verses on this. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, yes, impurity, yes, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, the things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh. It is sin. Go with me. I have other New Testament passages, but just for time's sake again, go with me to one of them, 1 Peter chapter 4. I don't think I would be very shocked if anybody in here, this room that's hearing this message or listens to it, does not think that drunkenness is not a sin. So I won't spend a lot of time on the verses, but 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3 again. Uh, you know, back in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with those of the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 4. Uh, sorry, verse 3 in this case. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness. I'll just stop right there. That was a pursuit prior to salvation. That's not something to be pursued after salvation. It's something that happens prior to salvation. 
And he says, we have not suffered so that we can continue in sin. In fact, Christ suffered. And the example in verse 1 is we should cease from sin. So drunkenness is a work of the flesh. It is sin, plain and simple. Now, what does drunkenness lead to? And we see it all around us. Now go back to the book of Proverbs. I will come out of the book of Proverbs for a couple of verses. But go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. You say, Pastor Dan, well, this drunkenness is so obvious. Why do, why do we spend a little bit of time on that? Just move on to other things. Because I will say this right away, that a lot of people fool themselves and believe they're not going to get drunk or they, they believe that that's not a problem with most people, um, really. Okay, but let me just show you what will happen and the scriptures talk about with drunkenness. <coughs> Proverbs and young people that are here, listen up. Now, it's obvious you could tune me off right now because you could say, Pastor Dan's not an issue with me. I'm not of age. I can't take alcohol anyway because I'm not only in, I don't only be in sin, but I'd be in trouble with the law. You're right. But I'm going to share a couple of things tonight that just happened this week. You young people, listen up. Drunkenness leads to poverty. Chapter 21, verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. It's pretty straightforward. You love to spend your money on oil and you love to spend it on wine. There are a lot of people that that's what they do. They spent it on alcohol and what happens? They won't be rich. In fact, they'll be bumming money. I can tell you firsthand, and I don't want to get into a lot of experiences here, because experience is a subject to every individual. But I can tell you firsthand of being in the presence of people who were looking to borrow money for alcohol. I had the experience very quickly of working in Boston, as you know, before I went in the ministry. I just shared this recently with somebody as well. And I used to walk through Boston Common quite frequently during lunchtime. And I used to see people on the streets, and they had their faces were literally brown and black. And I didn't know why. And then I went and I noticed why they were brown and black. And it was because the people, the, they were usually men, they were eating or sucking on shoe polish. Now, that may sound strange to you tonight, but it's true. And I asked them why they did it. And it was because, and I don't know if it's true anymore, but when I was working in accounting, it was true. Because shoe polish contained an alcoholic content. And they were doing it for the alcohol that was in it. That's how bad it got. These are people that were bums that we would, and I carefully use that term. I don't use it, but that's the way we'd look at them. They were poor. They had nothing. It leads to, let me give you two, three, four, and five, because they're all in the same text. Drunkenness leads to strife, it leads to sorrow, it leads to clouded thinking, and it leads to addiction. Addiction, chapter 23 of Proverbs. Proverbs 23. I don't think there's any question, I think I'll read it through, that you will see that this is talking about somebody that is a drunkard. It's not just talking about someone that took an occasional drink of wine, it's a drunk. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. This is a good principle for everything. 
Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. And by the way, we're talking about wine. There's a good point that we don't pay attention to enough today in the church, and that's gluttony. But be that as it may, let's go on. Verse 21, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. There it is again. And drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sears a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave you gave birth to you. And you say, well, we're talking about drunkenness, and that's what we started with. Yes, this is still there. Listen up and be wise. Verse 27, for a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. And you say, well, it changed it. Well, don't stop. Here we go. Verse 29, what does it say? Who has woe and who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of the eyes, he who lingers long over wine, and who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At <clears throat> the last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. <clears throat> I have literally seen that. People say things they would never say. Why? They were controlled by alcohol. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. How stupid is this? Or like the one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. Why? Totally insensitive. This is a drunk person. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. That's addiction. It's addiction. Drunkenness leads to strife, it leads to sorrow, it leads to clouded thinking, it leads to addiction. It leads to unjust judgment. Go with me to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verses 1 through 9. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and proud heart and a lamp of the wicked is sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty, uh, is hasty comes surely to poverty. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeing vapor in pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. The way of the guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. It is better to live in the corner of a roof. Uh, that is not the text I wanted. I must have missed uh, copying my notes. Anyway, it does cloud the judgment is what I wanted to get, and we saw that anyway earlier in chapter 23. Maybe I needed to go on, but um, it clouds our judgment. 
Uh, it allows people to take advantage of other people. I won't turn to this one, but that's Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 4, let's go there. What does it lead to? <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4, verse 17. Sorry about that other reference. I tried to be so careful. But Proverbs 4, 17. When you look at the context, what's it dealing with? It's dealing with the wicked. It says they eat the bread of wickedness, they drink the wine of violence. It leads to violence. It does. People, actions and things that they take when they get drunk and it takes over. We find out scripturally <clears throat> not only that, but it also results in mockery and folly. Proverbs 20, we already saw this verse in both the prior two messages. But Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Whoever is intoxicated by it, you can say anything you want. You're not wise. You're not wise. And it's interesting. I only took two. One of them was Hebrews. The other one was this one. Go with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4 for a minute. I thought this one was appropriate to uh, deal with. Right after the major prophets, you got Daniel, Hosea, chapter 4. <clears throat> it brings slavery to our own hearts. Proverbs 4, uh, sorry, Hosea 4, 11. Holotry, wine, and new wine take away. Now, my translation says the understanding. That literally is the Hebrew word for heart. It enslaves the heart. What does? Holotry, wine, and new wine. It enslaves the heart. It fools us. It is an element that can fool our own hearts. So there should be no question when we're dealing with drunkenness, and it shouldn't be an issue, that Pastor Dan, we're not talking about that, but uh, the consumption of alcohol, I can handle that, but uh, I know that drunkenness is wrong, and that's never right. That's true. Okay, but let's look at some other considerations, uh, having addressed some of those things pretty rapidly tonight. Uh, secondly, for some considerations, I want you to think upon these things, and these are not the only statistics or information that I was able to gather, but I want you to be aware of it and, and, and to face the reality of it. First of all, church history. This is an interesting situation, and I'll tell you why I think it's interesting. I address this topic because, I, as I said, I think it's a controversial topic, and I think I tried to be very fair in presenting the extremes that happen in Christianity today. But I challenge you to look up church history, and I'll tell you why. I did as much as I could, uh, but I'll say this. is the summation of the church history. Alcohol was always seen in the church as something evil. It was never promoted or ever sought after until late in the 20th century. Interesting information. That doesn't mean that taking alcohol was not seen for medicinal purposes, biblically or whatever. But it was always seen as an evil and a danger in the church. And it was not sought after as something to be pursued by a believer until 
the 20th century. That's one century ago. Secondly, just some consideration. Our own society. If you look <clears throat> at society, unsaved society, people recognize that there are major problems in three areas. And you don't have to do a lot of reading. You just have to be aware of what the world you're living in. And that is alcohol, sex, and drugs. The world recognizes that today. The world is concerned about those things today. And they recognize that we have a problem in all three of those areas. It doesn't mean that you stop getting married, you stop having children. It doesn't mean that you can't use drugs right in, in um, hospitals or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But our society does recognize the problem. Also with our society, alcohol, the alcohol industry, and I told you that it's different from what you had in Bible days. Most of it was grown by families. You still have some of that in California. You still have some of that, by the way, in Europe. But we, the, even with them, they are now feeding the industry uh, today. But the alcohol industry, I want you to know this, that it spends billions. That's a, that's a fact. Billions on advertising to get people to drink alcohol. Now, the latest statistic I could get was 2005, because there's a lot of foggy stuff out there. But the most accurate that I could get was in 2005, now remember this, that was almost 10 years ago. Back then, they spent, the, the industry spent $2 billion on advertising alcohol. It's big business to get people to drink. Most regular, now you might say, what is a regular drinker, Pastor Dan? I saw all types of statistics on this. I am not going to try to make this determination, but the best statistics that I could get that was pretty consistent was to have, amazingly enough, one drink a month was considered a regular drinker. But at any rate, most regular drinkers and binge drinkers, ones that are really taken in by drinkers, 51% of them are over 18 years of age. So it is dealing with uh, a situation where they are older. However, with most regular drinkers and binge drinkers, they all confess that it started while they were a teenager or younger, when it was illegal. I said I'd share some things recently. I got, we got a phone call this week, and it was related to somebody that is now in a detox situation. That person started when they were 11 years old drinking. Now, that's illegal, obviously. But the point is, that I'm trying to make, is that is when the appeal usually is. It is to teenagers. It is to young people. Right here in this particular area, if you look at half the newspapers around, you will see the reality of what has happened in teens and with their parents 
where they have foolishly allowed underage drinking in the home. And if you happen to get the Lawrence Eagle Tribune, and this happened to deal with drugs this week, but there was a girl that was put away, and her picture on the front page was, I am a drug addict, and it started when she was a teen. The drugs and alcohol start that early. Statistics, over 1.41 million drivers, 1.41, and I tried to deal with this information carefully. I really did, because this statistic goes back to 2000, and the reason I went back to 2000 and not 2012, I didn't feel there was enough consistency in the information I was getting. In 2000, there was. 1.41 million drivers were arrested in the year 2000 for driving under the influence of alcohol. It is a constant problem today. Almost one half of the fatal crashes, it's just under 50%. Every year up to last year, are alcohol-related. Almost half the fatal accidents. Now, this one is being fought by the alcoholic industry, so I will give you the information, but be I'll be careful with it. By age 18, it is estimated that an 18-year-old already in their lifetime would have witnessed, if they watched the average amount of TV, 100,000 beer commercials by the time they're 18. That's all, if you take sports events alone, it's probably true. And I say that with a question mark because that is pretty consistent by several sources coming out but the alcoholic industry is fighting that and saying it's really not true. But if it's not 100,000, folks, it's a lot. The most sought-after age, see if this is not true, the most sought-after age of children are four categories. Age 13, why would that be, young people? Come on, help me. Why would you not, you couldn't wait till you were 13? Teenager, they don't want to answer it, but you will. How about 16? That's the second one. Why would that be? There you go. 18, you're considered an adult today. Guess what the fourth age is? 21, guess what the primary reason is? They can drink, that's what it is. So as a child is growing up, the four ages that they seek after, if you talk among them, is 13, 16, 18, and 21. One to be a teen, one to be able to drive, one to be considered an adult, and the other is to get their hands on alcohol. When you get to be older or my age, what's the age you really want to seek after? 25. <laughs> you know why? Your insurance goes down. <laughs> okay. Okay, some other things, just information. <coughs> Normal alcoholic content 
<coughs> excuse me, of biblical wine. Do you, does anybody remember what it was? I gave it to you. Yeah, it was pretty good. Just 2.5. 2 point, but between 2 and 3, and that's probably the statistics you've probably seen. But that's what it is. If you, if you study biblical wine, and there's all kinds of books, and people water it down and do this, and they do that, but when you kind of weigh yourself through the information, try to get the most accurate information, you will find pretty consistently that somewhere between 2% and 3% was the average alcoholic content of biblical wine. So again, don't think that there was no alcoholic content. Now, I give you that information because here are statistics as current as 2013 right off of the computer you can get it yourself. 12 fluid ounces of beer contains 5% alcohol. That's one can. Eight to nine fluid ounces, which is smaller, of malt liquor is 7% alcohol. That's more than double biblical alcohol. Five fluid ounces of wine that you would pick up considered a low content of wine. 5% ounce of wine, it's a small glass, is 12% alcohol. 1.5 ounces, which is a shot, not talking about a shot person, it's a shot glass, of hard liquor, which with the statistics, just so you can get the information, of hard liquor, which is usually considered 80% proof, and most of it is higher, but I'll take the shot in. 1.5 ounces of hard liquor, a shot glass, 80%, is 40% alcoholic. I would say that that's a fair representation that it is not the same content as biblical wine. Levels, uh, just a couple other quick things. Levels set for drivers uh, because, and when I say that they, right now, Leanne's in the driver's ed and whatever, and had to go for a license. And they have right on your, they didn't have that when I was a kid, but today they do. They have the alcoholic content that you can have when you're behind the wheel and so forth. Those levels are set, and you can read that on your own, because every single state in the United States of America recognizes that alcohol causes lack of control of judgment and thinking and response when driving an automobile. That's why they set those. It is very possible for you and I, if we have drunk alcohol that does not make us drunk, to even under an emergency situation get into a car and get dr drive down someplace and be absolutely sober in our mind and yet get stopped for drunk driving. It's very possible. The push of the market, again, you can look at it. I will be very careful with this as I read through information, but the push, push of the market for the industry is to market sin. They do not deny that. They will present their commercials with either just simply sexy women or macho men 
to present a picture because you might not think this is so adults, their target audience is young people, their future product that they are trying to get to. And they present it as macho men are the ones that drink beer and wine. And that's not because I want to present anything false, just reality of the world we're living in. And it makes you want to be a part of the crowd. Their commercials are designed that way. Let me move on to the next area. There's some other things we could say, but I think you're getting the point. Our society recognizes a problem in this area. Biblical exhortations, I think very, very important. First of all, I think it's very important to us to understand that we are to interpret the Bible properly, literally, and in its context, and we are not to impose on the, on the scriptures that which is not there. Too many believers do that. It is our responsibility to teach the truth. Second, it does not make you any more spiritual than anyone else if you do not participate with a glass of wine, to be specific. That is improper thinking. If you think because you have not taken a glass of wine and somebody else did take a glass of wine that you're more spiritual than them, that is legalism because it is not prohibited in Scripture. Drunkenness is prohibited and is spoken against. So we need to be careful. The taking of alcohol is restricted in some cases, but not in all cases. In fact, now I want to be very careful with this, but it's the truth of Scripture. It was John the Baptist that was accused of one thing. It was the Lord Jesus Christ because he ate and drank that was accused of gluttony and drunkenness, neither of which he was involved in. However, what should be the focus? What is the biblical exhortation to believers? Number one, and because it's five of seven, I'm going to give you some references. Maybe I'll give you one in each area. I won't be able to cover them all. We'll be here for two more messages. The biblical exhortation to believers is, listen carefully, to walk in newness of life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it specifically says that. These things that were a part of my life before are not to be a part of my life now. We are told in Ephesians chapter 5, next point, that God's desire is for us to be controlled by the Spirit, not to be controlled by any substance, anything. But it mentions drunkenness, drunk with wine. We are to seek the things that build up the body, not things that take the body down, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Our job as believers is to be cautiously aware of what will build up the body, not what will take it down. We have a responsibility as believers, and certainly as parents, and certainly as leaders, to promote soundness. I'll give it to you all at once. Soundness, self-control, and to be an example of what it is like to walk with Christ. That is our responsibility. And to display the fruit of the Spirit. Obviously, I'll give you Galatians 5 on that one, which also mentions self-control and soundness of mind. We are not to use our liberty. Do we have, 
And let me again make that clear, because believers are judging people wrong. If, if some believers saw another person that had a glass of wine at home, they would judge them that they were sinners and so forth. Not necessarily so. They have the liberty to do that. But we are not to use our liberty, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, as an occasion for sin. And that can happen. We can fool our own hearts and want to use it as an occasion for sin. We are not, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, next point, verse 12, we are not to be brought under the power of anything, and not just alcohol, anything. It could be possessions. It could be whatever. But we're not to allow anything to bring us under its power other than the Holy Spirit. Obviously, next point, biblically we are exhorted not to stumble a brother. We need to be very careful. Romans, probably 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, I give you as well, but Romans 14, verse 21 specifically is dealing with that. We have to be very careful that I don't cause another brother to stumble into sin. And you have to be, while I'm dealing with biblical exhortations, you have to be realistic. Many believers today came out of drunkenness. They have. I think we have some probably sitting in this room. But that's probably true. And I had a, a case of a brother this past week that was talking to me. They didn't know I was on this series. And the brother was talking to me about the fact of alcohol and how they had to be so careful even with the smell of it because they came out of that and they saw how it destroyed their family. And it was through actually AA that they ended up coming to know the Lord. And so we have to be aware of the fact as believers, many had been in a lifestyle of that. And we have to be careful about that. We are to, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, limit our liberties whenever it would result in the furtherance of the gospel or God's work. Now that, that's saying that you always have to limit your liberties, but if it is going to advance the work of God, whatever liberty we have, not just alcohol, Whatever liberty we have, we ought to be willing, and that's a test of whether it really controls us or not. Are we willing? And we are to be more concerned, listen carefully on this, I wish I had more time on this one. We ought to be more careful with the body of Christ than we are with offending and unsaved. The scriptures only talk about offending believers. That is our concern, not an unbeliever. We limit our liberties because of the gospel being spread in God's work. We had to recognize the principle of to whom much was given, much will be required. What does that mean? That's, for example, Luke chapter 12, verse 48. There's some other verses on that. That means this. The greater the position we're given, the more responsible we are, the more people are going to look to us, and the more careful we had better be. So that's what it means. God given us a responsibility. That's why, again, with the Levitical priesthood, all the Nazarites, because of that position, they represented God, and they needed to be very careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul mentions in verses 25 to 27 another one, and that is he gives us an exhortation 
He wanted to be careful that while he was preaching to others and trying to get others to walk with God, he himself did not become disqualified. Now, you can look at the context of that. He's talking about running the race. But he was wanted to be very, very careful about his personal walk. I think those are some good exhortations to us to take. And then finally, I'll give you some practical considerations. First one I want to give you practical considerations. We ought not to be judging one another. Drunkenness, no question. Um, the concept of somebody having a glass of wine at their, their own home and so forth, people have the liberty to do that. I think it's dangerous ground, but they do. There are some parts in the world today that it is still a, a staple a drink, but I will say this as a practical consideration. Normally, wine is not considered a staple drink in the world that we live in today. In some parts of the country, in Europe it is, but generally here it is not normal part of a staple drink. It may be for a particular family. Another practical thing I'll give you is we have so many other options today that they did not have in the Bible back then. We could sit down and have tea, we can have coffee, we can have uh, soda juice, and all of you may be sitting down saying, yeah, there's chemicals in this one and that, and whatever. My, my, that, you're missing my point. My point is our options are endless today. That was not true also in Bible days. Thirdly, just a practical consideration, we are living in a sanitary world today. They were not in Bible times. What does that mean? <laughs> in spite of the fact that you may not want to drink the water, your water is generally pretty pure. And not only that, you can get purifiers for the water uh, today. We are living in a society that is actually probably too conscious of, uh, and too aware of germs so that even down the halls of the church, we got everywhere you walk, you can hit the machine and clean your hands and get the, all the germs off your hands and everything else. But we're living in a sanitary society. <clears throat> Next, I would give you as a practical point of view to think about, do not underestimate your influence or your potential work for the Lord. What do I mean by that? We may not think we influence anybody, but we do. Just as a parent, we have an impact. I told you some information, and I try to be very careful with that. But most alcoholics later on, you find out that they started drinking, and it was early in teenhood or even before. The one I just shared with you was 11 years old. And, and where did that happen? They learned some of that from their parents. Now, I am not saying that a parent would not teach properly, but again, remember, a young person growing up, they can't wait to get to be 21 for one reason. So don't underestimate your influence on your own children, even with proper teaching. Uh, I am sure that we could start with me some bad habits that I had. It wasn't in this particular area that my children picked up on that I wish they had never done it. And I wish I had never influenced them in that way. And what do I mean by service from the Lord? Well. Exactly that. How is God going to use you in the future? Maybe he wants to use you in some capacity beyond what you're being used right now. Maybe you move away and you're risking even being used because some would take a very strong stand in this area. Just something to consider. 
There's enough warnings from the world, just a practical thing, and the effects of alcohol that it has on family life, on people's careers, and even on people physically, that I will say to you personally, me, it's enough warning for me that keeps me away from taking advantage of a liberty that I do feel as I stand before you. I have the liberty to uh, take a drink of wine and so forth, but I don't. Why? Because there's too much warning and too much effect that I think I could have negatively or that it could potentially have in a family, in a career, and in a life that I don't want to risk it. And as I already mentioned, many Christians were saved out of it. The appeal of the industry is a practical consideration. The alcoholic content is higher today. Another biblical one, but I think it's a practical one, is I've said this to my own children, not in the area of alcohol, and I've also said it to people in this church. I don't trust my own heart. I don't know if you do, but I don't. God says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And um, there's a number of things that I refrain from doing, not because I can't, it's because I don't trust myself. Um, and I try to be careful. Uh, I try to be very careful personally, even with a computer. Why? I don't trust myself. I would rather have somebody sitting near me and be open with a computer just for any risk that could possibly even happen with a computer and because of my position. So there's, there's certain things I'm not willing to risk personally. Um, so influence. I do not want to limit God's use. I said that. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to deceive my own heart. I mentioned that. Um, and I kind of concluded this one with me. And please hear everything that I've said. Don't go judging somebody or thinking that you're more spiritual than they are if they happen in a family celebration to be sitting down having a glass of wine. They have that liberty. I think it's dangerous, but they have the liberty. So don't go judging that. But in saying that, uh, for me personally, and this is personal, and that's the way I'm putting it to you, I'll conclude with this. I don't need alcohol to make me happy. That's me. Um, I want to be able to praise the Lord and be happy in the Lord. And there's, even though there's, there is joy, as the scriptures say in that, I personally don't need that. Now, that's not to restrict you, uh, per se. But I think we do need to be very careful because of where we are in society today and where alcohol has led. There is so much. I have a little pamphlet, pamphlet right here, and I brought it up, and I just said, I'm not even going to use it. But there are so many things about warnings and from families and situations. And there could be endless, countless situations with drugs, with sex as well. We know that. But let's not kid ourselves, folks. This is the 21st century. We're dealing with a society that's on high alert because of everything that happens with it. And I think it's an area we need to be careful and we need to understand that while drunkenness is sin, we have to be very careful in the area of the use of alcohol. And uh, uh, I, I hope I've treated this subject biblically and accurately, not avoided anything. Um, I'll be glad to say this. If you have some questions, because 
it's after seven now that you want to ask and whatever, feel free to do that. I'd be happy to. But let's also have a situation where we're not judging one another's spirituality and obviously uh, totally avoiding of, of uh, drunkenness. And uh, let's be very careful of our testimony. And young people, I say to you again, I said, listen up. And that's because once we were young too, some of us old folks, and there's a drive toward that. Not everybody has it, but many people have, and they can't wait for that. And just take the warnings of Scripture. It can lead to poverty. It can lead to deception of your own heart. It can lead to foolish decisions that you will regret. And don't worry about being macho with somebody else. Or don't worry about going down that uh, category. And certainly, right now, it's absolutely illegal anyway for anyone under that age. But be very, very careful. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I thank you and praise you for the word of God. I thank you and praise you for its simplicity. I thank you and praise you that it is a light unto our feet and a, and a light to our path. We can depend upon it. And I pray, Father, and ask that you'd help us, help us to be seeking to be followers of Christ in all that we do, helping us Help us to really have a heart to want to be pleasing, not only in everything we do, but to be an example to others and be able to encourage them in their spiritual walk. And I pray, Father, not just in the area of alcohol, but any area, Father, that can overtake us or overwhelm us, I pray that you help us to be careful with our own hearts and that, Father, we would not go down a path that we would regret later on in life or that would cause harm to the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you'd use these messages to help us in our spiritual walk with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.